Hello and welcome to another edition, another episode, another moment of a conversation beyond the pew. And today I'm pretty excited because I have got Bruce, who is Mr. Renaissance Man. He is a mathematician, comic book author, musician, data consultant, girl master, professor, has done math TV shows, software startup, and is a father and husband. And so I, there's really nothing that you really haven't done. Um, it seems. I, I've done a lot of stuff. I just don't do any of it very well, Kara. <laughs> well, you know, I would say I've had your, where you've grilled. That's pretty good stuff. Uh, my barbecue is okay. My barbecue is pretty good. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with you on that. It's all right. <laughs> so Bruce is a professor at Western Kentucky University uh, in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Uh, he is a mathematician, and you are like data driven. And so, uh, one of the reasons we're having this conversation is because you have started up a data consulting uh, kind of thing about reopening and and how with COVID, how how you decide to do things based upon data. So, tell me a little bit about that. Okay. Well, um, I'm what's uh, called a, an applied mathematician and um, recently have worked with a lot of different um, with with uh, professors and with scientists in different disciplines to uh, model their situations and try to understand them better um, this this COVID-19 thing that's come up uh, has has kind of forced our hand as far as if we try to reopen and right now the, the word is that we will try to reopen you know optimizing the number of students we can get in classrooms and things like that so i'll be honest the whole mathematical consulting thing that i'm doing is uh really heather's idea i've given away more math in my lifetime than than i can count but um it's like well if you're going to do stuff for people you should mm -hmm. do and i do have a you know i've been in i've been a professor at western now for 29 years and oh, wow. so, and I've spent a lot of that time in classrooms talking to students, high school classrooms talking to students even. Not a ton, but some of former students would invite me in to, who were teachers would invite me into their classrooms. So um, she's like, this would be a kind of a neat thing for you to do on the side. And she has more of a marketing mind than I do. Um, so I said, all right, I'll play along. Let's, let's give it a shot. So we're just getting off the ground and, um, that is one of the things that, that she's focusing on is, um, you know, optimizing space, uh, which is uh, kind of a curious problem to, to deal with, but it's, it's, I guess, workable. I, I, I've been doing it with our classrooms in the math department at Western, um, dubiously, because I'm not convinced going back in the fall is a great plan, but um, if we're going to do that, uh, going back face to face in math in particular, I mean, there's several disciplines where I can understand entirely. If you want to, if you want to teach those disciplines, you got to have a little bit of, you know, if you're doing a comparative lab in biology, you're dissecting animals. You kind of have to be there and have the animal in front of you. And, um, chemistry lab, totally, you know, working in, in, uh, uh, fume hoods and things like that. That's 
kind of that's something you can't really do at home. But math, English, history, psychology, um, many of these disciplines, we can do what we do virtually. And um, so I, I'm not necessarily sure I agree with the push to get us back face to face. The, the, the talk is always about, oh, there, you know, uh, um, there's lots of data showing that, you know, kids maybe learn better face to face or whatever. And I'm like, well, yeah, because that's what we've been doing for a thousand years, man. I mean, if we put the time and effort and I put our brains into um, dealing with students in a virtual environment, I think, I think we could do that pretty well too. It's just, we tend to, we tend to do what we like to do and many of us and do as we were taught. And so, you know, the, the face-to-face -face format is very comfortable for many of us. And I think that's what we're, we're moving to, but back to your original thing. Um, we'll see, we'll see what comes of it. The, the other side of the, we, we've called it mathematical consulting. And so, Certainly the, the optimizing space and, and flow patterns and things is, could be a part of that. The other thing I would love to do is work with teachers in um, helping their students really enjoy math. And nice. that's, a, that's a, as, as, yeah, I've been, like I said, 29 years. So as I start my second 29 years of teaching, I think this second half of what I do, I'd really like to um, push that agenda uh, the best I could. You know, I've all, and I've always said this, and this is what drove things like the math TV show that I did, Math Matters, mm -hmm. uh, the, the math comic books that I did. Um, we have the worst marketing of mathematics uh, of any discipline. Mm -hmm. uh, we, the, the math that we pedal to students when they're young is dull as it can be. Um, Agreed. <laughs> as someone who, yes. And, I, and really, when they should be hitting their prime, that's when we hit them with the dullest stuff ever. When they start doing pre-algebra and algebra, factoring, exponent rules, this stuff is horribly, mind-numbingly dull. Mm -hmm. And... I've always, my strategy has been to go in and show them really cool stuff you can do with math <clears throat> and not necessarily do it all in front of them. You know, have them understand that, oh, I'm doing some stuff you don't understand yet. Mm -hmm. But if you stick with it, you know, the, the way we tend to teach nowadays is, okay, you're going to need this later. This is going to, and if you learn this stuff, boy, someday you'll be able to do some cool stuff. I think we ought to be doing the cool stuff first. And then explaining why the cool stuff is, how, you know, why we're able to do the cool stuff and how we're able to do the cool stuff. It's, it's kind of like we're, we're coaching kids, you know, how to play a video game or something without actually letting them play the video game. Uh, no, one, no one would ever try that because the kids would rebel against that. But that's exactly, I think, the way we approach mathematics. Okay. Well, and... I mean, I hated math in uh, high school, but... No one's ever told me they hated math before. That's, you're the first. So, That's but here's the weird I'm, thing. I'm, yeah. um, I loved physics. Yeah. So, so, it was this weird, like, my math classes, I couldn't stand 
but my physics classes, I loved. And I, when I took college physics, um, my physics teacher met with everybody and he, and I just said, I'm terrible at math. And he goes, well, let's find out if that's really true. And I had a very high A in physics because it was fascinating. He made it fascinating. Well, and they're always playing with toys in there, right? They're shooting stuff mm-hmm. across the room or they're knocking stuff uh-huh. together. Or uh, One of the guys here in, in uh, Warren County uh, had his own bed of nails where he would lie down and, and have an assistant bust a cinder block on his chest. I'm like, dude, cool. I am so dull. Because all I do is just show up and teach, you know? No one's ever busted a block on my chest. That's awesome. So, um, and chemistry, too. You know, chemistry, they're always blowing something up or setting it on fire or they got stuff squirting out of the tube because it, you know, if they can do things like that and then go back and explain, all right, now here's what happened. Mm-hmm. And um, so we are a little bit restrained, I guess, by our discipline that we, we're not blowing things up or so forth. But there are really right. cool things that, that do happen in math. Some of them are applicable, uh, applied kind of things. Some of them are just cool, you know. Okay. And so this consulting thing would be uh, um, a good way for me, if people take advantage of it, for me to work with teachers and not just on how to solve problems, but why are we solving problems? And, and here, here's a problem that kind of illustrates the stuff that you want to do um that you could then say oh why did that work how did that work you know and and then Mm -hmm. that to motivate the the math so yeah we'll see if i mean it's not like i'm actually giving up my job to do it or anything but i think it would be a neat uh opportunity for me to to work with some teachers and work with school systems and whatever comes along i didn't we purposefully made it very vague because you know, I can do math modeling. That's just kind of what I do anyway. Mm-hmm. Or I can um, work on that motivation piece with students and teachers. So, Yeah. So in thinking about how you do the application stuff, the data, taking the data, using math, what, how, how do you use data in your everyday life to make decisions? Well, um, the, the one thing that I've really kind of been going on recently, of course, are our, uh, COVID-19 new cases in Kentucky mm-hmm. and also kind of tracking the deaths. It's not everything that they look at. I understand that they're looking, there's a, there's a way that they can calculate, uh, uh, rate of transmission. They're also looking at the number of, um, ventilators that they have access to and number of, um, uh, ICU rooms available. So <clears throat> right now in Kentucky, we're, we are kind of operating in the green, but really kind of close to the yellow bar. Uh, okay. We do have, we had a period there and it was just, a, it was about that eight to 10 day, whatever, after uh, Memorial Day, where mm-hmm. things kind of shot up. Uh, they seem to be calming back down now, but I've just kind of been watching those numbers and, you know, uh, 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 we talk about flattening the curve and I know you've heard that term used quite a bit. Um, But where you want to be on that curve is on the downside. 
Yeah. And we're still having a flat curve is okay. It's certainly better than having a curve that's going up. Um, yeah. But it's, it's also, but if you know, if you're, and we are averaging about 200 or so new cases a day here in the state of Kentucky, that's not great. And averaging five, mm -hmm. five or so deaths a day, five or six deaths a day, that's not great. Yeah. So we've got a ways to go. Um, I'm kind of, there is a cool problem in all of this uh, that's not a math problem. It's more of a human behavior problem. But there's this, this mm -hmm. optimization, this sweet spot, if you will, between what needs to happen and what you can actually convince people to do. And I know oh, yeah. there's a lot of quarantine fatigue. Um, I've seen a lot of folks around here that um, definitely are done with it. You know, they're just going out and doing whatever and accepting whatever their fate is, which I don't know. I guess, I guess if it's just you, that's fine. I, like I said, I've got a, myself, I'm kind of in, in an at-risk category and I've got kids and a wife who are in at-risk categories. Right. I'm not, that, that would be a selfish decision. I think for me to, to make that kind of decision. So we have been pretty adamant about staying home, having things just delivered to the house. Um, we, we supported a lot of local uh, eateries just by, you know, takeout and uh, a lot of local artists, which I know are struggling right now. So we've, we've bought art from uh, a, a muralist here in town. Who's awesome. And, um, the some of some of the people I performed with um, are doing kind of like uh, Facebook live shows, and I always try to send them oh, nice. Venmo them a little money because I know they're they're you know just they can't do concerts, they can't do shows, and they they're selling their music, which is good, but I, I'm sure it's not like what they could do if they were out performing. Yeah. So, what do you think is the most fascinating thing about collecting of data and using it and what are some misconceptions about it because you know people look and be like well that's not really true or i don't know well um i, I i'm kind of stuck on the question of what's fascinating about it i mean the the real thing that's fascinating about it is that you you can see things trends that that are real as opposed to uh, um, maybe appear to be happening. Like things can go up for a couple days. Okay. Go, oh no. But if you're looking at things correctly over a period of time, you can tell if that's just a bump or if it's a real trend. Right. So mm. to me, that's kind of cool. Uh, the misconception that really bothers me and it, 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 it kind of ties in with people um, doubting, the, um, the expertise and the motives of like our healthcare workers and our epidemiologists who are, who are out there trying to help us. And they've got years of experience doing this. And, yeah. and, you know, and I've got, I, you know, people that I see or talk to occasionally that that are still like, Oh, every time, every time they declare somebody's got COVID-19, the hospital gets a, gets a big fat check from the government. Well, you're assuming one that the doctors either they the doctors either one don't know what they're doing, or two lack the ethics to say 
you know, to tell the truth. And that, that bothers me, that lack of respect for, for expertise. So um, I, I see the same thing with the data. It's like, well, the data change depends on who you get it from. I'm like, well, yeah, depending on what the collection window is, you know, uh, if you're collecting data from when you open in the morning to when you close at night, and you've got someone else collecting data from three o'clock one afternoon to three o'clock the next afternoon, yeah, those numbers will change slightly, but the total numbers will be the same. And so, yeah, you could look in two places and say the data is different, but it's basically the same. If you measure the trends with both those data sets, you'll get the same result. Um, so this, there's this, and it's a good, you know, I saw that, I read this book when I was in college, How to Lie with Statistics. So everybody thinks if you're doing statistics, you're just, you're skewing it to get your viewpoint out there. And that's absolutely not the way things work. Um, okay. We look at this and there's a mathematical formula that these things go into. If there's outlier data that we think is bad, badly uh, collected or something like that, mm -hmm. we would justify the removal of that for that very reason. That's the kind of, that is bad data. So, this notion that we cherry pick and, and leave in data, throw out data that, that, I guess this notion that we've got this agenda, if we look at data to start with, and then we're just figuring out a way to make it support what we're thinking. Well, that's, that's no better than what they're doing or what somebody would do if they doubt the ethics of a, of a doctor. You know, mm -hmm. we, we have um, credentials in these areas and, and we have, I think uh, the large majority of professors I know have, have the ethics to, no one wants to put their reputation on the line to support a lie. Yeah. And, and that includes doctors, that includes um, the, the scientists that are studying the pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I just, I, I have real issues with that perspective on it's, it's kind of like this anti-intellectual kind of perspective on things. And, you know, I'll, I'll be the first to say I've known plenty of people who had no credentials, no degree, that in, in the game of life were very intelligent people. And, and perhaps even in whatever area they worked in, you know, they knew way more than I knew about that. But I respect that. You know, it's like, yeah, you've done this for 20 years. I got it. You know what to do. I, I, I'm not going to doubt every step of your, of your, your work and say, Oh, you should be doing it this way. You know, so this, this notion that smart people can't be trusted or smart people are trying to, I really, the, the one that really gets me is when they think there's some kind of grand conspiracy, right. Yeah. To, to, um, misinform the public. And I'm like, dude, you've never been in charge of anything. If you, if you think you can take more than three people, and have some kind of grand scheme to take over the world and keep that a secret. <laughs> right. I, it, if, if you wanted a secret, then make it one person. If you have this grand plan to take over the world, don't tell a dag daggone soul, just do it. Because if you tell two, right. it'll get out. I right. guarantee. So this, this scheme that there's this huge conspiracy of, um, uh, you know, putting microchips in the vaccine or whatever this other, or, you know, 5G is melting our brains or whatever it is. You know, that, the notion that you could do that and keep it a secret is just nonsense. I have such a hard time with that kind of craziness, but.
humans like to talk. We like to talk. And if you've got information that, yeah, you can't get more than three people to generally hold a secret at all. And the way we communicate too is just like, there'd be evidence. You know, it's just like, oh, Bill Gates really is trying to take over the world. Look, I got an email from you saying right here, I'm taking over the world. (laughs) Um, So what's some of the coolest stuff you've worked on in math that you're like, man, that, that was just kind of mind blowing. One of the, one of the neater things I got into, uh, and this, this is where I kind of got the patent and had several publications. Uh, there was a physics professor used to be at WKU that came to me with this problem and what he does or did, and doesn't seem to do it much anymore. He's kind of moved on to other areas, but he would work with, munitions uh, like proving grounds in the in the military where they would have unexploded shells and there's a there's a nuclear technique where they bombard these shells with uh, neutrons and it causes the 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 and these things penetrate deeply so they can get through a metal shell and it will cause gamma uh, uh, gamma rays to be uh, expelled at a certain frequency and those frequencies can tell you what the elemental makeup is of the shell. So if oh, it wow. comes back and they're able to detect a bunch of nitrogen and so forth, um, there's a good chance that shell would still explode. Okay. If it comes back and it's just full of mud, you know, mm-hmm. it's no big deal. Uh, but if, if they think it'll still explode, that's a more expensive process for cleaning it up. Okay. And so um, the, he came up with this problem about how the, one, it's got this huge background that's all kind of messy. And, and then two, you got this problem of uh, sometimes the, the gamma ray peaks are really close to each other and being able to kind of figure out. So I worked with him on using um, some math that I really, what my PhD was kind of in called wavelets to help remove the background and then also help kind of figure out how those peaks, um, how to differentiate, differentiate between those um, overlapping peaks and that was a, that was several years years work I had the opportunity to travel to California and Boston and kind of try to uh, get folks to use my my technique I don't think it, it it never really got off the ground people don't want a um, they want a solution they don't want part of a solution and that was kind of okay. the lesson I learned from all of that but it was fun um, did get a patent out of that and, I guess if somebody came along at some point and, and wanted to use that technique, it could still go somewhere. But uh, after a, a while of that, and I just like, you know, I got other cool problems to work on. Um, yeah. Recently I've been kind of working with a, a Gatton Academy student. That's one of our, um, it's a, it's a place here in Kentucky uh, for uh, juniors and seniors in high school. They come on to WKU's campus and they finish their, their high school degree, high school, mm-hmm. Uh, diploma while uh, taking college classes and so I'm working with a student there uh, who's very socially conscious and um, uh, kind of uh, uh, active in with political um, ideas on the notion of gerrymandering we're working on kind of a uh, and we're we're reproducing some of the work uh, by a lady I forget where she is Moon Dutchin who um, Oh, I forgot what school she's at, Tufts or something like that. And we're um, kind of measuring 
whether or not a state is gerrymandered or not. Uh, and so we're we're I'm just working with this student who's doing some some um, some basic programming to kind of nothing new. I mean, we're I don't think we're doing any kind of uh, publishable research in that one, but we are um, studying. It's kind of an interesting problem because I drew up a a sample kind of state for us to to get our software working on called. Pentucky. I took the shape of Kentucky and reduced it to a pentagon. So I call it Pentucky and then broke it up into a hundred district or hundred uh, precincts. Okay. And so once we get it working on this, but even then, and for each precinct, I have the um, percentage for party one and the percentage for party two and the percentage that are neither of the two parties. And even just playing with that data, I was able to, you know, um, and I had it heavy, heavier towards party one, but I was able to completely carry the state with party one, even with just the limited, you know, just by, just by playing with the numbers and then get yeah. them down to, it was just, it's, it was mind boggling just how, and I'm an amateur, you know, but I was able mm -hmm. to sit there and take that map and just completely mess with those results. Wow. So, uh, so that's kind of fun. Um, and it's great. Like I said, I really enjoy working with this young lady and have, um, over my years, really enjoyed working with a number of students who they're so creative, you know, they, they haven't been beaten down and been told no their entire lives. Like we have like, Oh, it'll never work. It's like, all right, whatever. Now they'll try the crazy stuff in the world and, and everything, it works, you know, it's just, yeah. They're, they're so much fun. And, and then even when they, when it doesn't work, seeing that frustration, you know, it's just like, ah, we're never going to get this. I said, yeah, I know. Isn't it cool? <laughs> this is, welcome to research. Here we go. Uh, well, well, and that's kind of interesting. So the state of Michigan, um, two years ago now, maybe more, um, or maybe just about two years, the gerrymandering is so bad in the state of Michigan that the citizens of the state of Michigan actually got it on on um, a, a referendum to have a third party draw the district line. Mm -hmm. And it's still, because it's being fought over, it still hasn't come to pass, even though the citizens of the state passed it by a massive majority. Yeah. But the politicians are not willingly giving that up. Yeah, I would, I would love to see, like this, this young lady I mentioned has uh, done a mountain of work in this and has mm -hmm. no agenda other than fighting gerrymandering, which I think yeah. that's the side we all ought to be on. Right. And so it would make sense to me to have um, a group like that say, okay, look, based on all your precincts and the number of voters registered for each party in this, mm -hmm. you know, here would be, um, they can, what she can do is determine, okay, then that's about how many um, districts you should carry depending on, you know, okay. everybody knows how many uh, U S representatives they have. Everybody's got two senators, but um, right. uh, things like that, you know, and then they can also tell you, okay, here's some ways of doing, here's ways of drawing that up. 
And the funny thing is gerrymandering really truly has nothing to do with these odd shapes. If you're getting the right number, it's, it's not the odd shapes that make it gerrymandered. It's the, it's the skewed okay. number, right? Mm. But out of all the things that get the right number, here's some ways of doing it that don't have these funky shapes you know, right. and things. That, those, are, those are questions that can be answered if anybody would listen to the answer. And necessarily putting the party in power at the moment in charge of redistricting is bad, a bad idea in my opinion, but no one's listening yeah. to my answer either. So. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, anything about the direction you kind of see your mathematics going, uh, or anything that you see kind of on the horizon for what's being worked on that you think, oh, that could, that could change things? Well, I really would like to see this, um, and, and I'm an administrator, I'm, I'm a department head, mm -hmm. and one thing I've probably been on my soapbox a little too much about with my department is of course we're we're doing what we need to do to survive during this pandemic time but yeah. we pandemic or not we really ought to be looking down the down the road to the future of what college is mm -hmm. what a university degree is and what math will be in that degree mm -hmm. uh, whether you're a math major or not you know, there's the, when I was a, probably a fifth grader, so my dad, who was also a high school math teacher, uh, showed me the algorithm for calculating the square root of a number. And uh, it's very kind of complicated, it's messy. But back before you had calculators, that was a way to do it. Mm -hmm. And I even, just because I was curious, learned how to use a slide rule, which I thought, oh, this is cool. But it's, these, are, these were all things that we did because we didn't have calculators. Mm -hmm. And so when calculators came along, and I still remember getting my first calculator, I was so excited. Um, you know, the need to do those kind of things kind of went away. We didn't need a slide rule anymore. We didn't need to calculate the square root by hand because we just put in the calculator. Mm -hmm. Well, here we are now. You know, if you give me an equation, I can, with an app on my phone, I can take a picture of that equation. And it will tell me the answer, you know, solve for X, whatever. It'll solve for X, and it will tell me the steps. So if I'm home doing homework, I don't have to think. I just, I paid $9.99 a month for this thing, and yeah. uh, it just does it. So, and even if we're, even if we're like showing them how to solve the equation by hand, mm -hmm. and they're willing to listen to us, what are we offering them that they really couldn't have gotten for free off of something like Khan Academy or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, really the only thing that we're giving them is the credit and a grade and eventually mm -hmm. the degree. But I think we could do so much more. Mm -hmm. we, we should be looking at what do we offer as experts in the field that's not just the nuts and bolts of how to do the math. We should be saying, again, why do the yeah. math? What's it got to do with anything? Uh, how, why would I ever need to be able to do something like this? What, and, and how's it tie in with other math, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, that's, 
I'm trying to get us to look down the road at what a, a successful, I, I don't necessarily want to be, I'm not moving for us to be necessarily online all the time or yeah. some kind of degree mill kind of, I, that's not what I'm saying at all. Yeah. I, I'm looking for that stuff that we offer that is truly a university education. Mm-hmm. Not just I sat and watched Khan, Khan Academy and worked my way through all the problems. You know, um, we all know of the social side of a university experience and the things we learn there, but also, you know, you know, we want these students when they're done to say, you know, I really learned an appreciation for this because of the way it was presented to me by my math professors. And, um, and not just how to solve a bunch of problems, you know, and I got it. You know, if you're an engineer, you just want to know how to solve the problems. Maybe you don't want the appreciation for the beauty of the math mags behind it. And, uh, Unless I, you want to work for Tesla or Apple, then you better have the beauty of it. You know what? I think that's a good point is that a lot of people don't just want the run of the mill anymore. They want the creative, they want the big picture thinkers and um, but you know, so at the end of the day, f- for us, that's the challenge. One of the challenges I see is for us to figure out what the role of a, of a real university is. And, and if we do it in a way that's convenient and works with the students desire to, you know, um, I, I've got kids college age and I can tell you they never College is the only place where they ever show up at a particular time at a particular place mm-hmm. and whatever. Because, like, if they're watching a TV show that's on Tuesday night at 8, I mean, they're just right. going to Netflix that, you know, and watch it whenever mm-hmm. they want to or Hulu or, you know. And if it's not in those formats, they probably don't care about the show, you know. So <laughs> that's kind of where we are is, like, we should give students this opportunity and still make it real, you know? Um, so that's, it's almost that's like, it's almost like going back to the, you know, university was to open you up to all kinds of things and to make you think critically. Yeah. Um, because that's not just working problems, whether it's mathematics or any other field, right? You've got to be able to think critically, creatively, beauty wise. Um, yeah. it, but again, it goes back to this because I've, I've heard some really good ideas. And of course, we're, we're struggling now just to teach the courses we've got with the people we've got. But uh, I have very creative faculty who's like, oh, we should have like a math of social justice kind of course. And I'm like, man, that'd be awesome. But the problem is that a lot of folks who deal with social justice don't already have that appreciation for the math. We've, we've kind of had some some hybrid math and um, humanities courses before like art in uh, uh, math in art kind of things but getting an art student a lot of times to take a math course is very difficult they've got that that kind of built-in phobia thing developed over years of not enjoying math and so um, again it goes back to when they're young let's get that appreciation in there and show them the cool stuff first. You know, we should start with that, right? And then, um, and then follow about why it, 
why it matters. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, but that that's my, you know, over the next few years, my challenge is going to be to try to figure out ways to help us evolve as a, as a math department where we're not just, you know, we don't have to necessarily meet with everybody face to face, but whether we do or don't, what are we saying to them that, that they can't just get for free somewhere else? Mm. Yeah. Keeping relevant. Um, well, and we're slow, you know, universities are the slowest creatures of change in the world. We're, we I, are, I don't know. Church is pretty. Yeah, yeah, I, I, you know what? Good point. And uh, I'm going to stand corrected on that one. You're right. <laughs> Sometimes we're competing for who gets that. And generally the church wins. Who can be sloppy? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's all about having the right people there that, that uh, are, are willing to push. You know, it's culture, right? It, culture change is the yeah. slowest change ever. And getting people on board is um for change is hard you know oh, it, it is although i am finding that because of the pandemic it is like there is no other option folks like whatever world we had ended in march and yeah. we are in a totally new world and so people are doing things that they never thought possible so it for the first time i've actually seen people go oh we can't keep doing it the same because we can't meet, we can't be in our comfortable, what are we going to do? Um, so I feel like with the pandemic, that may be the good side to it, is that it gets us out of our comfort zone of trying new things. It did totally force our hand. My fear, though, is that we're so desperate to get back to the way it was. Mm. And, and a lot of these changes that we've experienced that were pretty positive were, will be abandoned just as soon as we can go back and do it the other way. The stuff that, you know, we, we put some COVID-19 questions on our, on our student evaluations for the spring just to see how we were handling it. And most of the mm -hmm. complaints are not over the format or anything. It was, it's more like, oh, I have horrible internet at my house or my computer was really uh, not holding up very well or I had to share it with the whole family and things like this. Yes. Well, these are fixable problems, man. These are, these are things we can address. And, you know, spending all this time trying to squeeze a bunch of kids back into a classroom, I'm not sure is the way to, to you know, to deal with it. But anyway. Well, one last question uh, that I ask everybody is what piece of wisdom do you try to live by? Do things that, not dangerous things, but do things that make you uncomfortable. And that's really been the thing that has led me to uh, do the TV show. Back when I did that, I, I had a small grant, worked with WKYU to do that. And I would, I'd never been on TV before. Scared the daylights out of me, especially because I had to come up with everything that was said for that show which was a real challenge. And, um, but I did it. And you know what, I came out of that with some workable skills and, and some confidence that I didn't have before. Um, started playing in a bluegrass band about eight or nine years ago. And which is good. It's good. Anybody? But man, I can remember before we played just being so nervous that I just couldn't even 
I couldn't eat. You know, I just couldn't like, mm-hmm. that's like uh, when it's over, just scared to death. I was going to mess up. Um, and just, you know, if you do anything long enough, you start to build this kind of muscle memory for doing it. And this confidence that, yeah, I could probably pull this off. Okay. It's, it'd be all right. Um, mm-hmm. The comic book thing I did, I've never written a comic book. I've never illustrated a comic book. But once I was on the, once I had the grant, I was on the hook. I had schools yeah. waiting for them. And so that scared the daylights out of me too. Just, we ought to always be looking for not, not, I'm not talking about skydiving or mountain climbing or anything, but just challenging ourselves to do things that just we're not completely comfortable doing is something I try to do all the time. And the whole department head thing, I didn't know anything about being a department head. Never been a department head before, you know, before I yeah. got, got this job. Um, and was really scared that I would mess up and destroy a, you know, the whole universe is doing fine. And yet we're over here not doing well. Um, it's scary, you know, but it's, it's one of those things where it's just like, well, let's give it a go. Let's try to use some good sense here and make, uh, make uh, reasonable decisions. And so that, that's the one principle that I tend to, I'm, I'm always looking for these things that are, that, that cause my sphincter to tighten when I think about them, that's still like, yeah, but you should totally do that because mm-hmm. the outcome will be good and you'll be a better person when it's over. Cool. Well, Thank you very much for joining me today. And to all those listening, I hope you gained something because Bruce is a pretty awesome person. Like I said, oh, he's just a renaissance man. And uh, man, I, I appreciate yeah. you talking to me. Anytime somebody thinks I've got something to say, I, I'm always happy to say it. Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. And uh, if you're thinking, of, if you're listening and like, I need to go to college somewhere, he sounds like a pretty cool professor. Maybe WKU is calling your name. We'll have some fun, man. I guarantee it. It's never too late either. I don't care how old you are. Let's do it. Let's go. That's right. All right. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. 